You found, find that in the Pew Bible on page 525. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, who is the writer of the psalm talking to in verse 1? A little bit of a trick question. Two, what are some reasons why we can't trust in man and his plans? Three, why do we need to remind ourselves to trust in God? And four, what do you learn about God from this psalm? Psalm 146, this is the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will praise, I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Lord, our God, we do thank you and praise you for your word because we know that you have spoken to us in it. And as we've heard you speak to us through the reading of this psalm, we ask that you would continue to speak to us, though very indirectly through your preacher this morning. Lord, send your Holy Spirit, we pray, help the preacher, help all of us who will hear, to hear from you this morning. And we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this weekend we commemorate the birth of our nation as we know it. And I think most of us are painfully aware that it's clear that we're far afield from what was originally intended for our nation. We had some things that were questionable in our start as a nation. It was a good start, though. At least our founding fathers had a sense of a higher accountability to a higher God had a sense that we were dependent upon him and understood that his laws and his word were the best guide for establishing the laws of the land. Our forefathers knew that, flawed as they were. In other words, our forefathers, by and large, grasped dependence upon God for our protection, for our provision, and for our guidance. And even those who didn't truly know the Lord, at least understood that there was a higher being to whom we were accountable. In time, 13 colonies were established. Governments were beginning to be set up. 
we got tired of being under the rule of England, and we decided to rebel against that and declare our independence, and many fought for that. And so we did, and we came up with the Declaration of Independence. I'm proud to say that one of the citizens of my small hometown in New Jersey, John Hart, was a signer of that very Declaration of Independence. But while our nation, our colonies, I should say, declared independence from England, they never declared independence from God. Clearly understood that the success of any nation ultimately is going to rely on the God uh, Almighty who rules all things. Here's part of our Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, etc., etc. And if you look through our other founding documents and the documents of states, you'll find that God is either directly or indirectly mentioned in each one of them, and sometimes direct references to Jesus Christ are even made for, by those who understand his lordship. The ideal certainly was not flawless. Government and practice isn't flawless, and yet, at least on paper, a system was developed under God that works. That works. Now, I'm going to say some negative things about our nation, but I want to offer some of my own credentials as a patriot, just in case anyone wonders. We fly the American flag year-round at our house. Recently, my wife and I were commended by a high commander in the military for raising patriotic sons. I even have a pair of socks that commemorates George Washington crossing the Delaware. I am a patriot. I love our country. And we are a very patriotic church. I recognize that. But as with all true believers, while we are able to be, and it's okay to be patriotic and happy to be in our country, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, we recognize that our ultimate allegiance and our ultimate trust is not in our nation, not in our leaders, but in our God. And our ultimate citizenship is in his kingdom, which lasts forever. And so we always set our sights higher. Here we are in our nation just under 250 years from when we declared and fought for independence. And things don't look very good. Our freedom is intact, though somewhat threatened as Christians. Our economy is fairly good, even though it always seems to be somewhat volatile and fragile. But the moral state and the mentality of our country is declining at, declining at an alarming rate. I'll get back to that. But unless your head is in the sand, you recognize the disturbing state of affairs that our nation is in. Some good things might be in motion, but for the most part, it seems clear that we're, we've drifted way off course from our original moorings and our original intents, and that our national depravity, our national depravity is accelerating at a stunning rate. 
And behind it, behind all of it, is godless thinking. Man leaning on his own understanding. That's never going to go well. We may pay lip service to being a nation under God, but by and large, we're a nation that has declared its independence from God. And if a nation declares its independence from God and doesn't rely on the God of creation, what can you expect? What can you expect? I might suggest that it might end up with a corrupt, godless, inept leadership. It might result in our leadership and our government promoting perversity and celebrating things like abortion and twisted political appointments are being made and perversity is being promoted and applauded and even celebrated. We're told as a nation that we need to spend a month celebrating something that scripture makes clear is a moral perversity. What do we expect when a nation declares its independence from God? Bad schemes that lead to decay and destruction and further plunge us into godlessness and further into irrationality. Some of the things we're seeing are just insanity. And still there's no other country we'd rather be in. But the trend is disturbing and it causes great concern for us and for generations to come. Now I recognize when we look at other nations, we, we have it good, even morally. But nonetheless, we concern ourselves with our own nation. Now, I don't want to ruin anybody's Fourth of July or Independence Day. But when we look at where we are, we need to remind ourselves that we trust in the Lord. And that our hope is not in this nation or not in this nation's leaders. During the week... Actually, early in the week, I had not planned to preach from this passage, but I found myself needing a passage that would would reassure my own soul. Would reassure my own soul, to tell my soul something of comfort. And, And I found that in Psalm 146, and I share that with you because if you're like me, you're pretty upset too about the state of affairs that we're experiencing in our country right now. And so I share this psalm with you. Because I also know that your confidence doesn't rest in the success or the failure of our country any more than mine does. And so lest we lose focus, we turn to our passage to set things straight, to reorient us. So we come to Psalm 146. And 146 is in direct contrast to those who would would embrace the folly of rejecting God and declare independence from God and trust in man. Because it's written by a believer, we see that we're focused in a different direction. We are to look up. We're to look up. In light of the fact that this psalm isn't given a specific context or even a specific author, it's helpful for us as a universal encouragement for us and for Christians in any situation, at any time, and in any place. And so that's very helpful for us. The psalm begins with praise. Our brother Bert 
presented the beginning of his presentation with praise the Lord in a translation that I did not recognize, but it could be translated and is often translated hallelujah. And that's the word here. It begins with praise. The rest of the Psalms actually are Psalms of hallelujah, Psalms with praise. And it really is a toss-up on how we translate that. Translated, praise the Lord, directly from the Hebrew, hallelujah. They mean the same thing. I got the song stuck in my head, so I have to get it out by telling you, back in the 70s, there was a song by Chuck Gerard, sometimes hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord. Now, I don't think he was referring to translations. He was referring to worship, but that is fair. Sometimes this is translated hallelujah. Sometimes it's praise the Lord. But, but the psalmist begins with praise. I'm reminded to remind us that we ought not to ever use that word hallelujah trivially or lightly any more than we would use praise the Lord. You've heard it used in commercials. You've heard it used in songs. You've heard it used flippantly, but we're invoking the name of God when we say hallelujah in the very same way we are when we say praise the Lord. But you see, here's the psalmist's testimony about himself. He's, he's testifying himself that he's going to praise the Lord. He's testifying to his own soul that he's going to praise the Lord. And he's testifying to anyone who will read the psalm and anyone who will listen to praise the Lord, to sing hallelujah to the Lord. He says, as long as I have breath, I will praise the Lord. In other words, as long as I'm living, the focus of my life, the flavor of my life is going to be praise, praise the Lord. And then he says, as long as I have my being. Now, I'm not sure that it is his exact intent, but when I think of how long we're going to have our beings, this takes us into eternity. So we're praising the Lord now, we're singing hallelujah with our lives now, and we'll be doing the same thing in eternity if we belong to Christ. And so we'll ever be focused on our sovereign God and King against the tendency to rely on individuals in this world. The psalmist begins with telling us what not to do. What not to do. Do not put your trust in man, even the best of men. Do not put your trust in men. I've often seen people do this. I've seen Christians do this with politicians. Don't put your trust in princes or politicians. They can't save you. They can't accomplish a utopian heaven on earth. Every single one of them is a sinful failure. You see people trusting in men as if they were messiahs or if they were saviors. It often has a tragic end. If you examine how Hitler rose to power, it was because so many people in the nation of Germany and then other nations saw him as the one who was going to deliver them. And in fact, he made great strides in providing for many of the nationals of his, in his realm. Same was true for Mussolini. Same true for Stalin. 
Same true for Mao, all seen as as national saviors at some point. And you see how dangerous that can be when it gets out of control. The psalmist gives us reasons not to trust in man. First of all, he's fragile. The greatest of princes, the greatest of leaders, the greatest of powers are frail, and they will return to dust. They'll return to dust just like everyone else. And it is sad when good leaders die. Frankly, when bad ones die, it's welcomed. So in and of themselves, they're fragile just like every other man, and they're failing. Every system that they develop, every system that they devise is flawed. Even the most perfect system biblical even as it might be, is flawed. And even if we could achieve perfection in our laws, the problem isn't going to be with that. It's going to be with the fact that we're sinners and we don't know how to manage that stuff and we won't manage it. But there are other systems and philosophies of government and so forth that are outright godless, godless philosophies, godless systems that have at their core spiritual darkness and that lead to further spiritual darkness and further moral decay and often the physical destruction of the masses of their own people. And while it is true that their intents, individual intents, die when they die, sadly, their influences don't. Their philosophies don't. Someone will take their place and carry on their philosophies. Communism, socialism, Nazism, jihad do not die when their leaders die. Now, they all will die. The philosophies, the governments that set themselves up against God will all die someday. I think the crazy thing is that some people embrace such things. And there's an alarming trend in our own country. And so man is fragile, and he's failing, and he's foolish. And again, the height of folly is to lean on our own understanding and declare independence from God. And that's the nature of man. And that will lead him to refuse to uphold the rule of law based on biblical principles, leads us into a sad state of affairs. But I don't want to depress you. Verse 5, blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. Some translations have that first word blessed as happy. Happy is he whose help is in the God of Jacob. But even those translators, I trust, recognize that it really is a sense of blessedness, a sense of inward peace, a sense of confidence in God, that kind of, that kind of bless, that kind of happiness. Are you, are you happy? Do you consider yourself blessed? Are you content in your soul? First of all, that's only going to come from a relationship with the Lord, but it's also going to be reinforced by trusting in the Lord regularly. Or have you given in to cynicism? Easy to do in the state of things in our nation. 
given in to cynicism and depression and despair over what you see. Believers in the midst of all kinds of messes around us, in our state, in our nation, in our culture, we can still and should still be blessed and even happy in that sense in the midst of things. Why? Because as the psalmist says, trust in God. Trust in God. There's no comparison really with man. God is the one who made heaven and earth. And so he gives us reasons to trust in God. He's the mighty creator. He made, he keeps, and sustains everything. And ultimately, ultimately, he's involved in everything that comes to pass on the face of the earth. He's responsible ultimately for the rise and fall of nations. He's the God who's involved. He's not the God of the deists. Some of our forefathers were deists. They believed that God created everything, set things in motion, and then kind of stood back, and he stands back and he watches. That's not our God. He's a God who's very much involved in the details. And we, in particular, can trust in him because he's proven faithful and true, not as if he really had to prove himself, but for his people's assurance, he's, a, he's proved himself. He's the God of Jacob. Go back to the beginning. Watch God work through the Old Testament, faithful to his people. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's also Jehovah God, almighty God, faithful and true. And he's kind and compassionate. He keeps and cares and provides for his people even through trials and troubles. You see that in the psalm. He's kind and compassionate to his people, but he's the bane of the wicked. He's the destroyer of the wicked. And all this mess and all this that sets itself up against God and his kingdom will come down. Sometimes that happens in time and in history, but for sure that will come in the climax of all things when everything that aligns itself against God, consumed in Babylon, will be cast away and destroyed forever and God's people will rejoice. Very interesting thing in this psalm, and unfortunately I can't really take the time to, to tease it out, but you can't help but see how these things were manifest in Christ. That part that is the compassionate part. You see in the ministry of Jesus, you see him. You see him feeding the hungry, feeding 5,000. You see him setting prisoners to demons free. You see him healing, literally healing the blind. Encouraging those who are bowed down. Special love for widows and orphans. Literally doing those things and then spiritually just Think about how the Lord has worked in your life. Think about what he's done for you as he set you free from the trap and the burden and the prison of sin. Has he opened your eyes to see the truth? Has he done those things for you? If so, you can see how this psalm in a way is prophetic of what Christ has done. It's actually a prophetic pattern for what the church is to do in response to what Christ did, in response to what the church is called to do. Even physically, right? So many ministries were started by the church that were these, these mercy ministries. Are these mercy ministries? 
Church has often been in the forefront of social justice, things like slavery, abortion, discrimination, establishing hospitals, mercy missions, taking care of widows and orphans, feeding people, clothing people, bringing medicine in the name, all those things paralleled in the physical ministry that the church can do. But above all, the church's ministry is to do the very things that the gospel does. Set people free from bondage into sin. Open the eyes of the blind, etc., etc. The church wants to understand how to have an impact on our culture. That's the way, is to be the church. I understand that's not to say that we're not to be involved in our civic duties, working to transform our cultures, but if we really want to impact the world for the kingdom and even our nation for the kingdom, it's the church being the church and not losing our priorities. Well, the comforting thing is to know that this isn't something that just was. God has not changed. The descriptions here in this psalm still fit. He still is all the things described in this psalm. And as our Lord Jesus Christ reigns from heaven, he hasn't changed either, except for he's glorified and he cares for his people. Well, by way of application, I need to point out some things to us. And it will be somewhat brief. But by way of application, how can we have confidence in crisis? It's to turn again and again to the God of creation, the God who is true, the God who is faithful. And the fact of the matter is we need solace because things are a mess and we need to keep turning back to him. Consider the current state of affairs. Consider the fact that our government, our government, protects, provides for, and promotes, and applauds, and appoints all kinds of twistedness in our nation. Proud of the fact that we embrace things that are evil and call things that are evil good. That's where our government, much of it, and thank the Lord for those who are true, not only to our Constitution, but to the truth of God. But our government right now is promoting evil very vigorously. What's the second most powerful influence in our country after our government? The media. And by and large, a popular media is right in step with the government, distorting with words. I'll just give you one example. So this recent Supreme Court decision protecting, as we would understand it, the rights of individual businesses and people with Christian convictions is being depicted by a large part of the media and their minions as taking away the rights of people, the LGBT, etc. community. You will rarely hear that the government, the Supreme Court, is defending the rights of Christian individuals and people with convictions. But maybe what's most disturbing is the mindset of our population, our civilization, our civilians. And again, there are standouts for sure, but so many are drinking the Kool-Aid of godless ignorance. 
unfair and godless systems of government and philosophies are being pushed and and young people are buying into it. This is a survey done five years ago. Survey was done by the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. You talk to anyone who's come out of communism or socialism and they see the mentality in our country right now wanting to brace those things they think we're crazy. They know what it's like. They know it's godless at its core. Here's the statistic. Five years ago, Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation reported 52% of millennials surveyed would prefer to live in a socialist or communist country. That baggage comes from a heart of godlessness. Well, needless to say, a nation that embraces such things and approaches such things is courting disaster. And God is amazingly patient, but he's not mocked. Some of us wonder how he's put up with us so long, especially because of the landmark decision of 1973 in our own country. How is it that he's been so patient with us and not wiping us off the map as we've destroyed so many of our own people? Who knows how long God will put up with us as a nation But I can say that much has been given to us and much is required of us. And we've been given so much. God is not mocked. Well, again, we turn back to the fact that while we should do our civic duty and take our responsibility, We need comfort. We need to come back and remind ourselves that our salvation does not come from man. The salvation of us as individuals, of the church, and any salvation our experience, our nation's going to experience, does not come from man. Even the best leaders cannot turn this nation around. Only God, in his mercy, and through the power of of the movement of his Holy Spirit and the preaching of the gospel and the repentance on the part of the population will turn this nation around. Only God knows where we'll go. But again, for ourselves, we need to stay focused, keep coming back to who we trust. We trust in in the king of the nation we belong to, whose whose kingdom will never end whose kingdom is in fact advancing in our country and throughout the world, but that kingdom will one day come in its fullness. No wonder we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But forever we will praise the Lord. And that's how our psalm ends. We praise the God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and that it ends in this way. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are our God. And if we have ever neglected to appreciate that totally undeserved privilege that 
all of your people experience as being citizens of your kingdom, we pray that you would forgive us. Lord, you've blessed us with heavenly blessings now, the riches of heaven now. We have so much to rejoice in. And we know that ultimately our trust is in you and in you alone. Lord, we know that you're sovereign over all things. We know that you're sovereign over the rise and fall of nations. We know that you are good and kind to those who don't deserve it, and you're good and kind to our nation, great as we think it is. We're still seriously undeserving and in desperate need of your continued grace. And so we thank you for the fact that you are merciful and kind and patient, but we also know that you will not be mocked. We know that sin brings its own punishment, and we can't help but see that we're experiencing that in our nation before our very eyes, and our hearts break. Lord, we repent of our sin. We pray for the repentance of the church, and we plead for the repentance of our nation. And we come to you in the name of the King of Nations the Lord Jesus Christ, who is forever to be praised and who is ever righteous. Amen. Our closing